Genesis chapter 37. It's always uh, an incredible honor to be a part of this meeting. And um, I appreciate the Mayos and uh, their family. I love them dearly. And uh, I appreciate the fact that they're all about the kingdom, the furtherance of the kingdom. And um, I want to be connected to people like that. I don't have time for all the hoopla. In fact, the older, uh, the older I get, the greater... greater disgust that I have for all of that. We don't have time for that. Well, praise God. We don't have time for all that drama. Let's love one another. Give one another the benefit of the doubt. them. I appreciate this great church. Um, I'm happy all except I'm angry at Ari Prado. Um, he bailed on me. And, um, these other two guys that preached that used to be evangelists, they bailed and took churches. And Ari Prado and I are in the trenches together and then he just left. goes around comes around um, if he's listening tonight uh, we'll, we'll talk about this at a further further time I appreciate everything we've heard and uh, I mean that and um, you know I'll say something here and I believe a lot of it lies in the lap of my responsibility and my generation's responsibility God tarries, I want my kids to be a part of meetings like this. And while, and, and while I'm at it, some of you need to go home and you need to get the word out to the people that you're connected to that they need to be here and they need to be a part of these meetings. This is, this is a safe place. This is a safe place. Yeah. Genesis chapter 37. Verse number three. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all of his children because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a coat of many colors. And when his brethren saw it, saw that their father loved him more than all of his brethren, they hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. And Joseph dreamed a dream, and he told it to his brethren, and they hated him yet the more. He said unto them, Here I pray you this dream which I have dreamed, for behold, we were binding sheaves in a field. 
and lo, my sheep arose and also stood up upright, and behold, your sheaves stood round about and made obeisance to my sheep. And his brethren said unto him, Shalt thou indeed reign over us, or shalt thou indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him yet the more for his dreams and for his words. Verse 9, And he dreamed yet another dream. He told it to his brethren and said, Behold, I have dreamed a dream more. And behold, the sun, the moon, and the eleven stars made obeisance to me. Told it to his father, to his brethren. And his father rebuked him and said unto him, What is this dream that thou hast dreamed? Verse number 11 And his brethren envied him, but his father observed the saying. If you would, just turn over a few pages in your Bible to Genesis chapter number 42. Now when Jacob saw that there was corn in Egypt, Jacob said unto his sons, Why do you look one upon another? And he said, Behold, I have heard that there is corn in Egypt. Get you down thither and buy for us from thence that we may live and not die. And Joseph, verse 6, was the governor over the land. And he it was that sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph his brethren came and bowed down themselves before him with their faces to the earth. Sound familiar to anybody? And Joseph saw his brethren, and he knew them, but made himself strange unto them, and spake roughly unto them. And he said unto them, Whence come ye? And they said, From the land of Canaan to buy food. And Joseph knew his brethren, but they knew him not. Verse number 9, And Joseph remembered the dreams which he dreamed of them, and he said unto them, You are spies. One commentary puts it like this, You come telling half-truths. You come to see the nakedness of the land. He goes on, and he tells them, I cannot fulfill your request. I cannot fill your order. I cannot buy your story. I cannot believe you. We can't go through with this transaction until you go home and you get the other boy. In fact, he goes on to say that he threw them all in prison. Took them out. You know the story. You know, it was back at the turn of the year. I began to work my way through the Bible, and I began in Genesis, and I have some quirky ways of approaching the Word of God at times, and I was studying the meaning of names, and began to run over some things, and this is where that came out of. I've been in this vein, felt to stay in this vein tonight, 
been brought to my attention by some that there have been some other young men in a very similar vein. For that, I'm thankful. I sat last Saturday night and listened to Brother Matt Tuttle and was refreshed in knowing that God's talking to us. I want to preach tonight, and please, it may sound as if it has negative connotation, but it doesn't. Stay with me. I want to preach tonight for a little while on the subject, when dreams become nightmares. When dreams become nightmares. I don't normally do this, but I'd like to give you a subtitle tonight, Almost Apostolic. Almost apostolic. We're fixing to get real tonight. And um, I believe the Holy Ghost is going to confirm his word. And I'll tell you up front what I've prayed. You say, Brother Marks, that's very minimal. That's fine. I pray that God would give me five young men and five young women in this meeting that leave here really on fire. Just five. Just five. Now I'd like, I'd like bigger numbers than that, but that's what I've prayed for probably a solid month in regards to this meeting. Give me five young men, five young ladies, that leave here with, a dis, with an insatiable, unquenchable desire and hunger for the true things and the true manifestation of apostolic power. I am frankly sick of going through the motions. Frankly, I am sick of just having church. I want the Spirit to stir a holy dissatisfaction in this congregation tonight that we will no longer settle for mediocrity that we will no longer settle for the status quo. May the spirit of violence, spiritual violence, shake this place. And as we're shaken, we leave here and shake our worlds. Is that your desire tonight? One more time, would you put your hands together? Come on, young people, lift your voice. Shout. Come on. One more shout. Come on, let it ring. Hallelujah. Praise God. You can be seated. Thank you for standing. The first thing that I'd like to draw your attention to tonight 
is that there is a special emphasis placed in Genesis chapter number 37 on the fact that Joseph was his father's favorite. He was chosen. He was favored above his brethren. But I believe that it's not without purpose. In fact, I'm very confident tonight that the Bible gives us the answer. Why? Seemingly would a father blatantly, audaciously, openly favor one boy above the other. He was not the eldest. He was not the baby. Yes, he was a son of Rachel. But the Bible says that Joseph was the son of his old age. We're looking for shadows Metaphorically, when we approach these Old Testament stories, you have to pay careful attention to the smallest of details. When I read other translations, there are other places where this is rendered slightly different, but it puts a greater emphasis on what it's really driving at, especially for us. One is rendered like this. Is favored above his brethren because Joseph was the son of his father's last days. To me, that makes all the difference. It, it shines a light, a disturbing, a, an exciting, but yet a disturbing light all at the same time on the generation that I stand before tonight this generation. You have heard this. What I am going to say in my opening remarks uh, is nothing new to you. In fact, I hope that it's not become old. I hope before we're finished tonight, you are convinced of it, that something would click in your spirit and you would walk out of here and live like you believe it. The ends of the world rest upon the shoulders of this generation. This generation is favored of God. I'll just be, I'll, I'll just be quite frank with you tonight. I'm, I'm in no mood to hype or cheerlead you. I'm just going to state the facts. This generation is favored of God. Like no generation before it. The giftings, the talents. When you step back and you look at the entire gamut of this situation. When you look at it uh, in its totality, I have, I have never seen a generation so diversely gifted as this one. Gifted in all sorts and types and manners. A, a mere a plethora of reasons, of explanations as, as to why God has so heavily placed his hand on this generation. I'm going to make a statement here, and I believe this with every fiber in my being. I believe that this generation, that their ears will be filled with the sound of a trumpet blast. I believe that. 
No man knows the day nor the hour, but every sign points to that. I believe that this generation will experience the resurrection that the Bible gave us a beautiful explanation of that we would meet, that the dead in Christ shall rise and we will meet them in the air. But let me say something to you. At the same time, I also believe that this generation is predestined, that God has chosen you, a Joseph generation, favored. There, there is a coat, that coat of many colors, as it's cloaked and it has, as it has shrouded, the Spirit has shrouded that coat of many colors upon this generation. It speaks of the colorfulness, of the giftedness of this generation. I want you to understand that I believe that this generation is going to see the greatest Jesus name revival that any preceding generation has seen before. I believe that. That's not, that's not hype. That's not emotionalism. I am, I am simply stating factual points. This, this is truth tonight, what I'm telling you. You will, you will see the manifestation of the latter-day glory that is greater than the former. Well, my God, maybe not. Do you really believe that? This generation is, is destined, the Father, the favor of the Father. This generation has been spiritually shrouded with a coat of many covers, giftings and talents and abilities. God has positioned us. God has put this all together strategically, provocatively for this time, for such as was said about Esther, for, for such a time as this. But I want you to understand that destinies do not come without distractions. Destinies do not come without distractions. Destinies do not come without demons of deviation. Destinies do not come without devils of hell coming and trying to deter us. Yeah. That's right, that's right, that's right, that's right. You say, can, can this generation handle the favor? Can this generation handle the weightiness of the anointing? Can this generation handle the weightiness of that predestined purpose from our Father who has favored us? My response to that is, if we can handle the distractions, if we can handle the things that are beginning to rise up all around us, come on now I want to know are there any young people in this house that's got your mind made up one way or another I will not be detoured I will not deviate hallelujah hallelujah there's a little opposition right here right now not that for that I'm thankful I'm encouraged by that that lets me know we're right we're just right on track 
That lets me know I'm where I'm supposed to be. I'm, I, I was supposed to be in Spokane preaching tonight, and that opposition lets me know that I'm in the right place tonight. So, so thank you. Thank you, devil, but we're going to black your eye before this thing's finished here tonight. Hallelujah. I, I'm glad... I'm glad you're here because when we get finished with you, you're going to regret you ever showed up. <laughs> yeah. Now, 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 just, just, just calm yourself a little bit. I, I am not going to, to bore you with the June uh, details. Uh, concerning the, the life of Joseph that, that you have heard over and over and over. But there, there are a few things that I would like to extract, extrapolate from, from this story. Things that I have felt that the Lord has specifically spoken to me about. The first thing is this. How long has it been since you have stopped to think about the atmosphere in which Joseph was born? Joseph, you, Joseph, usually when, when this story is preached, usually the first obstacle that is dealt with is the jealousy of his brethren. And then quickly we move to the pit, the time of the pit and the selling to the pan of the Ishmaelites. But I want you to stop right now here for a few moments and think with me. Joseph was born into a pressure cooker environment. There was great friction in the family when Joseph was born. I want you to stop and think about this. He is born into an atmosphere where his mother and Leah are living in an incessant battle and fight to get his father's attention. Oh, yeah. He is born in an atmosphere. He is born in an environment where his father and his uncle are at odds. There is great friction in the family. There is problems between his father and his and his uncle. There are problems between his mother and Rachel or Leah rather. Then you lump into that the problems with his brethren and I believe that I could safely parallel. I see something here. It's a distraction that I am seeing trying to come against this church and against this generation. There is an attack against the home. There is an attack against the family. There is an attack against the family of God. There is an attack against unity. There is an attack. Come on, you know I'm telling the truth. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We can talk about the world and we can talk about Hollywood and we can talk about the wickedness of this world and in its rightful place, it's right and it's needed. But ladies and gentlemen, we've got some problems within the church. There is an attack against the union of marriage. There is an attack against our homes. There is an attack against the peace and the tranquility. I didn't come here to play church tonight, but I did come here to be very plain. There are some kids that walked into this meeting, and you walked out of a very volatile environment to get to this meeting. In fact, I'm preaching to, to a baby in this place today that God knows what you left. God understands.
understands what you're dreading going back to. Things that at one time seemed so right and together. Now there are husbands and wives at one another's throat. There is friction. There is hell in the home in a degree like we've never dealt with it before. Siblings rising against siblings. Church members rising against church members. Mothers rising against pastors. Fathers rising against those that are in authority. You say, Brother Marks, what's going on? It's an indicator. It's indicative to me that this is a Joseph generation. And the devil is trying to squash out. He is trying to stymie. He is trying to stop the potential and the purpose of this generation. Hallelujah. People, people have gotten divorces in the last 24 months that we would have never thought would have even entertained divorce. Kids that stand here and they look like they've got it all together, but you don't know the conversations that they're hearing behind closed doors. You don't know the arguments that they're enduring in the vehicle on the way to church. But young people, there's got to be a resilience. There's got to be a determination that was in the spirit of Joseph that rises up in you that says no divorce is going to stop me no marriage split is going to stop me my brother can backslide my brother can my brother can become a reprobate and talk about the church but I've made up in my mind I'm going to see the fulfillment of God's promises for us Hallelujah. Come on. I know I'm not preaching to the majority. I'm preaching to a minority of a few situations here that it's touch and go. But you need to make up in your mind whatever's unfolded the last couple of weeks, whatever your sisters decided to do, whatever your best friends decided to do, the dissension. I'm preaching to somebody. You are waiting through dissension. You are waiting through dissonance. You are waiting through division. Come on. You got people trying to get you to make choices and choose sides. Come on, Joseph, make up in your mind. My brother's not going to stop me. My mother's not going to stop me. My father. Come on, clap your hands and lift your voice with a shout, an authoritative shout. I want you to shout effusively. I want you to shout loudly. I want you to shout with authority. Can we handle the anointing? Can we handle the dream? Can we handle the favor? Can we handle the chosenness? The question lies in, can we handle the distractions? What I'm trying to preach into you is some resolve into your gut. I'm trying to preach some sand and grits in your gut tonight where you walk out of here with your mind made up. I will not stop short. I will not. I've got too much invested. I've made it through too many valleys. I've overcome too many trials. 
So, it's a perfect example. One that has grit in his guts. Nothing. And I mean nothing. He could handle the dream because he could handle the distraction. He could handle the dream because he could handle the temptation. He could handle the dream because he could handle, he could handle, he had the understanding, he had the knowledge of what was his and what was not his. He could handle the dream because he could handle authority. You don't think Simeon and Reuben and Judah ever did anything worthy of rebuke? Huh? You won't find anywhere in Scripture where their father rebuked them. Joseph was the only brother that was ever rebuked by his father. Why? Could it be because he was the only one that could handle it? You say, can, can we, 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 we talk about the anointing. You, 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 it's easy to, to wind you up and we shout about the favor. But, but the question is, it's not can, can we handle the dream. Can we handle, can we handle all of these distractions? Can we handle all of these diabolical detours? I mean, some of you. And thank God for these men who have gone before me because I, I feel like prophetically through, through the preach word of God that they've taken the hands and they have led some of you away from the edge of the pit because some of you came to this meeting headed in the wrong direction. Can you, can you, handle, can you handle the dream? Can you, can you handle the favor? Can you, can you handle the... The weightiness of your father loving you more than any generation that has come before you. You better get some grit in your guts. There better be a resolve in your spirit. You can't be living in limbo. Or you're gonna get you're gonna get sideswiped. You better hear me tonight. You can't live in limbo. You can't live in indecision. You got a target on your back, baby. You better, you better hear this preacher tonight. The devil hates you. The devil, un the devil understands better than you understand what God intends to do with you and through you. He's waiting for you to crack a door. He's waiting for you to leave something undone. You live in indecision. You got a target painted on your back. Hell's got snipers. He's waiting on you to slip up. Can you handle the dream? You can't live sloppily. Come on, I'm preaching. I'm preaching to you right now. You can't live sloppily. I can't, I can't emphasize that to you enough. You cannot live sloppily. You can't do it. You can't live with your head in the clouds. 
You, you, you can't, you, you, you will never, you will never see the fulfillment of the things that God has shown and promised. If, if you're, if you're spending three and four hours a day in gross, giving yourself to nonsense, balderdash, giving yourself to foolish, idle, Activities. The biggest problem we're dealing with right now is not content. It's time. Sloppy. I'm telling you, it's sloppy to spend two hours at night. It's sloppy to fall asleep with the laptop on your lap and wake up in the middle of the night with Facebook still on and have to shut the lid. That's sloppy. My God, don't you understand that one of the first things they called it was the web. Wake up, generation. Why? Wake up. It's a web. It's there to entangle you. It's there to trap you. It's there to pull you in. I'm going somewhere tonight. Just stay with me. Sloppy living. You, you ought to get up in the morning and make your bed just to stick your finger in the devil's eye. I should have at least had mamas jumping up and down and making noise right there. Making my bed, yeah. You got, you got to get, you, the only way to break a spirit is to become the opposite of a spirit. And if you think you're going to be disciplined, read your Bible and discipline in your prayer life, it's not going to happen if you're sloppy. Why don't you try getting up and brushing your teeth? Why don't you try what? What? Living like we got all the time in the world. Living like all oh, this is just going to fall into our lap. Got to be a focus. There's got to be a focus. You got to know what you want. I'm asking too many kids. I'm asking too many young people. I'm asking too many preachers' kids. What do you want? Where are you going? Well, I don't know. I hadn't thought about it. Not a Joseph generation. You better know where you're going. You better know what you want. Is this too hard? Am I being too hard? My God, you can't. This, this generation, this generation cannot live by the seat of your pants. You can't just get up and, and you got to have a plan. I'm telling you, I'm not the most organized guy in the world. But if this generation is going to see, bro, would you just leave that stuff alone? Thank you. Just leave that stuff alone. This generation has got to make up in your mind. I will not be distracted. I have a plan. And that plan is to winnow my way through the process. I will see the promise. I will be used of God. I will see. The 
had grit in his gut. There was nothing. I, I'm, I'm convinced, and I don't have time to preach it, but it, from every point, distraction came from every imaginable angle. And Brother Herpeline, nothing could distract this cat. Nothing. All away from beautiful women. To Ishmaelites. To pits. Huh? Another one the Lord's been dealing with me a little bit. I'll tell you another distraction he managed to escape that some of you are dealing with. Forgotfulness. I dealt with somebody last night, and if I've ever hit a nail on the head, I was, near, I was, I was hitting a nail on the head. Somebody in this building that I love and I've invested in that has lived right for a long time. And there comes a point that living right can become a prison. If you don't feel like the things that you wanted to see and should have seen. And then it really gets bad when somebody else that you feel like, and you would never verbalize it, but somebody else that you feel like is given less than you've given starts embracing the things that you, that God hasn't allowed you to embrace yet. Okay, I'll get plain. You, you want me to get plain? What's he talking about? I get plain. The whole marriage deal. And it becomes a distraction. You've lived clean. You've lived pure. You let this knucklehead who's lived like an idiot, all of a sudden they decide they want to get pray, they, they want to play through and they, and, and they do good for 12 months. And they date. They start dating after 12 months and in and, and three months' time they're married. And you're like, It's the prison of forgotfulness. It, it, it wasn't. You, you know, I'm, the, the living conditions there were not great, but that wasn't what aided him the most. The dank, dreary, coldness. No. He learned to adapt to that environment. What bothered Joseph the most in the prison was he felt like he'd been forgotten about. I'm sorry, he was a man. And I'm sure there were some days that he started going back over his life. I mean, what did avoiding Potiphar's wife, where'd that get me? And we sit and we do it. And we go back in our minds and, and these people who made all these mistakes. It's like everything starts falling. I, I'm talking to somebody right now. Just, just give me some time. Everything seemingly starts falling in place for them. And you know they hadn't lived as clean as you've lived. In fact, you don't want to hold resentment for some of these very people that the reason they got out was because you helped them out. And then you've been left in there. And it's a distraction. You start dealing with, well, well what, what's living clean? What's, where's that got me? 
they got their freedom. They embrace what, what every young man and every young woman wants, and off they go happily ever after, and I've left here forgotten. Still, there was a resolve in his gut. There's something in his gut that would not stop short. I don't know if it was just raw curiosity, but there was something in him that would not stop. Amen. He, he manages to wind his way through that. He, he manages to work his way through that. And all of a sudden, Stay with me. I hadn't even got there. That's where I'm headed. What's that got to do with that? I'm, that's where I'm headed. He turns a corner. And things start coming to him. Rightly so. He's, he's with great resolve and with, with great diligence. He, he has... He has... Worked his way through a lot of distractions. And just overnight, his living conditions change. And he's sitting on a throne. Second in power, mind you. His word was as good as the king's word. I looked at my young man, preacher's son, Mitchell, today. I think it was Mitchell. I told him, I said, I'm telling you, I believe, I believe something monumental is going to happen in this service tonight. I believe that. I believe that there are some things that are going to happen in the next 12 months. And we're going to look back and we're going to say it was in that meeting. That meeting, something was birthed. So, things start coming his way. Things, things start panning out. He started unfolding. Maybe I am going to see these dreams come to pass. Maybe my dad's favor. Maybe, maybe, maybe there was something in there. Maybe, maybe I wasn't crazy when I had dreams of 11 sheaves bowing down and mine standing upright. Maybe I, maybe I lost my mind when God gave me a, a second dream and, and the moon and the stars were bowing down and uh, the moon and the sun and the 11, the 11 stars were paying obeisance. Maybe, maybe, maybe all of that wasn't just bogus. And he's about the harvest. best of his ability, living in luxury, living in comfort, no longer living in a cold, dreary, dark, dank prison cell. Things have shifted. Things have changed. And all of a sudden, he looks up from his business. And he does a double take, Bishop Mayo, and he looks again. He says, my, if I didn't know better, that's, that's exactly the way Judah drags his foot. And he starts looking as this band of brothers begin to approach closer. And he says, that's Simeon's stride. I know it. 
God, everything is coming together. God is about to do this just like he showed me he was going to do it. And he's sitting there, the ambivalence that he feels inside the love, hate. It was one side of him, I'm sure, that would have liked to have torn his robe and run and fell and wept. It's another part of him. He's dealing with anger, resentment, and guile, bitterness. He begins to converse with these men. They begin to tell them, tell him their story. I've missed this for years. In fact, I preached this several weeks ago in Tulsa. And the pastor, he, he, he set it up just, just, just perfectly because this is, this, is, this is exactly the way I looked at it for so many years. When I read the second text and the Bible says that the brethren bowed low, the pastor behind me spoke up and said, God done it just like he said he was going to do it. And Brother Sergeant, that's the way I've seen that for years. That's the way I've read that. It's the fulfillment of God's promise. It's, it's the fulfillment of a dream. But wait a minute. That's not really how it happened. Remember, there were 11 stars. Remember, there were 11 sheaves. And the Bible says that somewhere in the process of this very emotional moment that Joseph starts counting heads. There's Judah. There's Simeon. There's Reuben. There's Zebulun. There's Nephtaliah. Gad. Asher. One. Two. Three. Four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. The Bible says as he's counting heads that he remembered the dreams that God had given him. Ten. Wait a minute. Somebody's missing. Brother Zelensky, some, somebody's not... Don't, don't, don't rejoice too soon. Don't, don't start celebrating too soon. I mean, I mean, it's, it's tempting. You're 10, 11, there. You're, you're, you're 10, 11, there. But, but, but don't, don't jump, don't run, don't, don't celebrate just yet. And Joseph, thankfully, he can count. And thankfully, he realized this is almost, but it's not exactly the way that God showed it to me. In, in fact, this is not a dream at all. This is a nightmare because anything that's, anything that's incomplete, just ask the little lady in Luke chapter 15 who took a broom and the Bible says that she wouldn't lay her head down to sleep at night. She lit a lantern and she took that broom and she would not allow her body to rest until she found what was lost. 
Just stay with me. I'm preaching truth. I'm headed to you. You're going to understand what I'm preaching here in just a few moments. It's, It's almost, but almost is not going to cut it. Because the reality is, it's not a dream if it's almost. It's a nightmare, even if it's 10 11s, even if it's 10. Young people, are you hearing me? Even if you're sitting on the throne, even if you're living, even if you're living in the lap of luxury, even if you're better off financially than you've ever been, even if you drive a dependable car and live in a nice house, it's not good enough if it's 10 11s. It's not, it's not a dream. This is not. This is not what God showed me. And the Bible says that he remembered the dreams in which he dreamed. And he said, you, you come telling have truths. This is where this thought come from. I just happened to be studying the names, the significance, trying to find some significance of Israel's sons and the the meanings of their names. You ready for this? Huh? I mean, let's look at, let's look at what he's got there, Bo. Simeon? Reuben? Oh. God. There's seeing. There's hearing. Hey, there's Issachar. You know what his car was? His car was a type of the prophetic. Huh? Oh, oh my God. We're 1011s there. Look, I mean, would it be easy? We're, we're, we're set up. We got nicer buildings than we've ever had. We look, look at the places, the positions that God has given us. I mean, my God, look at this busy highway. Look at where God has set this church. We're sitting on thrones that the apostolic church has never sat on. I'm telling you, there are guys that gave their their lives so we could be where we're at today. That never even came close. Listen to me. That never even came close. Some of them guys sacrificed and they died feeling forgotten. You don't think that's true? You go back to Hebrews 11, and it talks there in the end about those who live faithfully but never seen the fulfillment of the promise. Verbal being never preached in a building like this. Our churches a hundred years ago were on the other side of the tracks. Makeshift shotgun buildings. I mean, that's what, that's what my great-grandmother got the Holy Ghost in. Just an old shotgun building that set up on top of some blocks. And their sacrifices and the, con- the continuity of their, of their consecration has landed this Joseph generation in a place of authority and rulership. The chariots we ride in. The servants that we have in 11s. Oh, we got seeing going on. We got hearing going on. We got the prophetic there. Oh, my God, there's Levi. We got the preachers there. 
What else was Levi symbolic of? Levi was symbolic of the law. There's some people that are, oh God, I shouldn't say this, but I'm going to say it anyways. There's some people that are okay just having church with Levi, calling it a dream. We got, we got a preacher and we got law. We got doctrine. apostolic if it's almost there's some guys that have tried to build a church off of Judah some people some people as long as they got Judah in the church they say it's fine it's a dream it's not a dream if it's 10 11th I want to stir you up tonight you got Zebulun you got you got Zebulun and you got you got dwellers. You got Asher and Gad. You got blessings. You got good fortune. You got joy. You got Nephtaliah and you got wrestlers. I mean, I mean, wouldn't we take that? Wouldn't we take 10 11s and run with it? My God, we can reach our city with that. Faithful people in the church. People in the church that's willing to wrestle. People in the church that can hear from God. People in the church that can see from God. We got good fortune. We got blessing. Let's call it good. It's a dream, Brother Jackson. Let's grab the timbrels. Let's, let's grab the psalteries and the harp. Let the band strike it, band. Come on, let's play and celebrate. It's the fulfillment of a dream. Where's Benjamin? I don't care how much Judah's there, and I don't care how many preachers are there, and I don't care how many prophets are there, and I don't care how much, how much happiness and how much good fortune's there. It's almost. I'm telling you, I know what the Holy Ghost gave me. I'm going to preach this. This coming year all over the country, God, God's, it's an assignment. God's put it in my spirit. We have settled and we have, we have grieved the Holy Ghost and we have stopped short and we have, we have limited ourselves because we have, we have agreed. We have settled. We have made a transaction. We have been willing to do business without Benjamin. No, in fact, you're all going to prison. <laughs> you know what that screams to me? The 10 11 even if it's there. The value is in the completeness. The value is in the totality. And what God's saying to us young people there. Is I don't care if you get the ten elevens there. If Benjamin's there, if Benjamin's not there, the other ten are worth nothing.
and I'm going to offend some people. I've already gotten a phone call over this. What are you saying? I'm saying, I'm, you, I'm just listen. Don't take snippets. Don't shut the radio. Don't shut Holy Ghost radio off right now. Hear me all the way through. I'm sick of people shooting at me because of snippets. Listen to me. I'm not trying to put something in the spirit of our kids that says that we can have church without Levi. I believe there's got to be law. My God, I've given my life to the apostolic movement. I've given the last 15 years. Why would I walk away from an, a 15-year investment at this point? I believe this message. We have settled and we have stopped short. All these others and their great profoundness and their great need, they are prisoners without Benjamin. You say, what's the significance of Benjamin? I've stretched you out this far to preach this. He was born in pain. And his mother lifted her voice, Mom Mayo, and said, We'll call him Benanai, son of my sorrow. I don't want Benoni. Joseph didn't sin for Benoni. He didn't sin for a thumb-sucking generation who walks around feeling victimized because of the things that we've had to go through and the persecution that we think that we face. You go... A father stepped in in that moment of pain and said, we will not call him Benaniah. And I've taken too much time, so you'll forgive me. You'll just take my word because you know it's true. He said, we will call Benjamin the son of my right hand. Are you ready? I preached all of this, and here's my point. Benjamin was symbolic of power and authority. It was the right hand of God. If you read it through the minor prophets, it was the right hand of God who smote the enemy. The dominion and the authority. Even when you look at the positioning of Jesus Christ and the Bible says that we have become his body in the earth. His positioning was where? It was an authority. Young people, the law is not enough. Your little bounce on Sunday night is not enough. Hearing from God and seeing from God is not enough. The mysticism of the prophetic is not enough. Great preachers is not enough. Faithful dwellers while we're thankful for them and prayer warriors in the church is not enough. The apostolic church is not dreamy. Without Benjamin, it's a nightmare. If we have no power, I'm telling you.
telling you I am stirred more than I have ever been stirred in my life. It's not the will of God to have skirt links and sleeve links right and necklines right and people riding with cancer. It's not enough to have the best choirs and the best music departments. It's not enough to have giftings and talents. It's not enough to be shrouded with a coat of many colors. It's not enough to have the best preachers that anybody's ever had. It's not enough to have prophets and dwellers and wrestlers. If we don't have power, we don't have anything. We're too worried about getting that off of them and putting that on them. And we're too worried. I'm going to tell you something. If the power of God was there, if the staggering, undeniable, unexplainable, uh, not able to be intimidated or, or imitated, if the power of God was there in that dimension, we wouldn't have to spend so much time trying to convince people that holiness is right. Because if people ever become exposed to true power, they'll put on anything and they'll take anything off to keep it. But you know why we're in a fuss with this generation? You know why we wrangle and wrestle with this generation? I'm going to tell you why. Because we have, we have allowed, I'm sorry if this is offensive, we have settled with 10-11s and we have raised a batch of kids on having just church, just church. Judas, Judah is there and Levi is there and Zebulun is there and Nephtali is there. But we've got a generation that's standing 14, 15, 16 years old that's never had a taste of power. And yet we stay frustrated because we can't keep their skirt links down and they want to wear tight clothes. It's not just because he's a close friend. I'm telling you, it's the God's honest truth. I've traveled all over the world the last 15, 15 years. And there's no place that I go where the power of God is more consistently in-house on a consistent basis than in Plasterbrock, New Brunswick, Canada. And I have stood literally. Brother Wilson told me before I ever went the first time. He said, you will literally, you'll be weak in your knees. He said, you, 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 it'll take your breath away. And I stood there one night, Sister Sergeant, literally, and I was having to bend my knees. It was so powerful. And I'm watching all this go on in the elder. And the elder steps up next to me. And he said, we've, we, we've missed it. And I said, what do you mean? What, how? How? Do, where? How do I? I, I mean, I'm, I, I, I duplicated it. Fine. If, that, if you want to throw rocks at me for saying I want to duplicate it, that's fine. But I want that. I want that for every church in North America. I want that for every church in the world. And he looked at me. And he said, I don't have to preach holiness to these people. I don't have to rail on standards to these people. He looked at me with tears running down his face. He said, these people have become so appreciative and so addicted to the power, the resident power of God in this place, that they don't want to do anything to jeopardize it going anywhere.
what I'm trying to get stirred up in you. And some have looked at it as a bad attitude, but I'm trying to study. I'm trying to stir up the agitation of Gideon. We hear it all the time. Mighty man of God, I did it. I baited you. I tried to pull you into it. Favorite of God, favorite of God, highly favorite of God, mighty man of valor. We have heard that. I have preached that until, frankly, I am sick of preaching that. I am sick of preaching that we are God's people for this time and for this hour. There's got to be a spirit of Gideon that rises up and says, God, I hear you, but where are the miracles? Where is the power? Where? Where's it at? sick and tired of succumbing to the oppression of the Midianites and trying to thresh out wheat where I should be crushing grapes. I am tired of living on crushed wheat when the vats are continually robbed and the whole time I'm having to deal with these voices. You're going to see greater miracles. You're going to do greater things. You'll do these things and greater. The glory of the latter house will be greater than the former. Blah, 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 blah. It got to the place that I couldn't even hardly set my lips to say it anymore. Because I am sick of preaching these meetings. Crutching us. And us go right back to the wine bread. And there's no crushing of the grapes. It's back to succumbing to the pressure of the Midianites and surviving. Pastors, this is what their ministries become. Evangelists, he feels the pressure. It's, it's crutch ministry. You've got it, baby. You've got, you've got what it takes. You're highly favored. How many times, my God, just listen to how, just listen to gospel music. It's my season. It's my time. I am a friend of God. And finally, Gideon gets a gut full of it. And he says, okay, then where's Benjamin? Where are the miracles? Where are the signs? Where are the wonders? I mean, maybe, uh, now you understand why I'm saying five. Because there's a lot of you that's just content and happy to have church the way we've been having church. Nobody in the baptistry. Nobody getting the Holy Ghost. Same old excuses. It's just not good soil. It's the Northwest. Judah. We got Levi. We live. Thank God for the thank God for the dwellers. Thank God Zebulun's there. Enough money comes in and you let yellow envelope tithe, tithe, tithing envelopes to survive. Let me tell you something. This apostolic life is the greatest dream that anybody's ever lived, but with no power, it's a nightmare. 
because power is what sets us apart. Because talking in tongues and worship and demonstrative, effusive worship has become, it's become faddish in the denominal world. And if, they're, if Benjamin's not there when they walk in, they're going to think, well, this is like the church I walked in down the road. And guess what? We got, we got some disadvantages. Here we go. I'm, gonna set, I'm setting myself up to get shot at again. We got disadvantages. Why would I come to your church when I can go to that church down there and I can wear whatever I want to wear? I can still hop. I can still wave my hands. They got a kick and choir. And, and the, frankly, if you want if you want to be frank, they got good speakers. They got good preachers. Why would they want to stay here? I mean, let's face this: if we don't have power, we look like the biggest bunch of idiots who ever got up and got dressed. See, I want Bible for that. I'm glad you ask. Is Jesus a good enough example? Is that good enough for you? He came to him in the night. He was no dummy. FYI. And he said, tell me about your doctrine. Tell me about your message. That famous discourse about a man being born again of water and spirit that's one of our biggest candy sticks. You know, it goes on down there and it says, and it talks about the wind, the wind bloweth where it listeth. And we take everybody there when you receive the Holy Ghost. You left something out. You know why he was even interested in his doctrine in the first place? He said, we we have seen your works, and no man, no man can do these things. In other words, there must be something to your way of life. And there must be something to your essentialities of living and your essentialities of eternal life. Because no man can do the things. I hope to God we hadn't made the church so sterile that there's no power when they walk through the back. I'm sorry, Brother King. Maybe you're, you're good, kid. Maybe, maybe you can help me. Maybe I'm approaching this the wrong way. But I'm not putting this stuff in my kids as heaven or hell. I, 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 my conscience won't let me do that. Now, there are some things outside of, of holiness and, 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 and a personal consecration that, that it's, it's Bible. It's, it's death or life. 
But even those things. And, I, and I'm already, I got a nine-year-old. I can see him getting it. And it's not because I'm the greatest teacher. But boy, I can see him getting it. What, what's wrong with taking the approach that this is about, this is about power, son. And favor with God. And we don't want to put anything in our lives. And we don't want to become involved in anything. You want scripture for that? I'm hurrying to close. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. He's talking to Timothy there in 2 Timothy chapter 3. And he goes down that whole list. That whole list. He said these, these are signs of perilous times. And the last thing he says, it's not broken thought. It's all one train of thought. And I think he says, he says that, he saves that pungent punch on purpose for the last. He said, loving pleasures more than loving God, comma. Ready? Having a form of godliness. Why are we not playing sports? Sit down. If a nine-year-old can get this, surely an 18-year-old can get this. Because if I fill myself up, it didn't say sinful pleasure. It just said pleasure. It didn't say sinful pleasure. Young people, it just said pleasure. Son, sit down. Let's talk about this. If you fill yourself up with pleasures, there's no room for power. Now, son, do you want to see the blinded eyes open? Or do you want to play football? Do you want to see a hundred soul revival? Or do you really want me to turn you loose at 14 years old with a telephone? Are they going to sin with it? Well, everybody wants to believe that their precious little Jill and their precious little Tom is not going to sin with it. But let's just say he doesn't sin with it. Let's just say he fills himself up with it. Having a form, Mitchell, of godliness. It's almost. It's almost apostolic. It looks apostolic. It resembles apostolic. You say, Brother Marks, flesh out being full of pleasures more than lovers of God. Okay, I'll flesh it out for you. You ready? One word, one word sums up pleasures, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. Ready? One word. Ready? Prayerlessness.
know why we don't have time to pray. We don't have time to pray because we spend too much time to play. Sinful pleasures. Mitchell, it's a pleasure. I'm not going every chance I get to take my kids out of town over Sunday. It's just clothes. It's just purses. Pleasure. You know what? They didn't have phones. And they didn't have nice thrones like this. And they didn't drive the chariots that we drive. And they didn't have the servants that we But they could walk into town when the church was needing revival and walk into the local funeral home and point out and say, you better set aside five caskets because you're fixing to need these in the next couple of weeks. I mean, they didn't have three-button suits two-button suits, or I guess the thing now is one-button suits, and their cool frame glasses that I have a pair of. I mean, all they had was some Coke bottle glasses. And a lot of times, he kind of looked like he just drug himself out of the closet. And in reality, he had a prayer closet. What kind of closet do you resemble? What kind of closet are you climbing out of? I don't want to look like Gucci when I climb out of my closet. I want to look like Jesus. And guess what? They had to use those live caskets. And they had those live funerals for three or five weddings. And it was the breakthrough that they needed in that church. And it did catapult it in the next dimension. And that church is what it is today. Why? My wife, which is no one knows like I know, because I've lived with her 15 years. Hands down, bar none, the greatest Christian I know on the face of the earth. We were driving the other day, and she looked across the car. Maybe we stand, we stand in the kitchen, and we were standing in the kitchen. Ron, she looked at me, and she said, you know, she said, it's hard to have compassion for something that we allow to entertain us. It's hard to have a burden for something the world 
what we live in. Life, it's all I'm looking for. I'm looking for fire. I'm looking for that fire-eyed, holy rebellion to rise up just five, five young men, five young ladies to say, I'm not having church anymore without this. I can't school without power. I can't. In other words, if we are who you say we are, where is it? I'm going to tell you something. God worked with Gideon through a lot of inferiority complexes. Just like he will work with this generation and all of its fears and its insufficiencies. If he sees us with the spirit that says, where is the power? Where is Matthew? Do you know when clarity came? Do you know when divine illumination came? Do you know when everything made sense? When Benjamin got there. When power got there. Release. Revelation. Illumination. Things finally made sense. There's no longer rhymes going in. It all became. There's too many of us struggling with the rhymes and riddles of what's this life really about because we're trying to live it without the living. So next time you're fighting your hair and tears start running down your face, Rather than sitting there and entertaining thoughts of what it would be nice to be. Wrap it up. Put it in a bun. Put a stick in it. And get to prayer meeting. Because it's about power. It's about power. Miracles, signs.
miracle. Some of you would go home with a holy unhappiness. Some of you would go home with a holy dissatisfaction. I'm not going to lie. I'm being real frank with you right now. I'm being very candid with you. I'm trying to stir up a dissatisfaction in you. I want you to go home, and I want you to make up in your mind, we're not going two more weeks without somebody getting the Holy Ghost. We're not going 30 more days without somebody in the baptistry. I'm not waiting on my parents. I'm not waiting on the evangelistic coordinator. If I got to go by myself, I'm going to get Benjamin. If nobody wants to go with me, if I've got to make the trip all alone, I'm not having church without power. Because church without power is not a dream. It's a nightmare. I'm finished. Come on. Give me an organ player. I don't want to preach without power. Randy Williams, I don't want to sing without power. I don't want to have Tuesday night Bible study without power. I know I can't be this way every week. But when's the last time a guest walked in on a Wednesday night Bible study and something got to moving and something got to turning and your blessed little programs. God help me not to get angry unless it's anointed right now. More programs. You know why we got more programs? It's a band-aid. There's a conference every week, and I thank God for this conference, and, and we need these conferences in the Northwest, but the, yeah, there's a conference every week. There's people going to church growth seminars all over the country. I talked to somebody not long ago, and they were going to a charismatic church growth seminar. You say, Brother Marks, what is it? It's Band-Aid, young people. We're trying to make up for an insufficiency of power. The program's not going to produce power. The power is what will fuel the program. We We've got it all backward. You know why we want sister so-and-so to see? You know why we said and we pine and pray that God would bring brother so-and-so through to preach? everything in my, humanly in my power to better myself scholastically. I'm doing all I know to do, all that I have time to do. With three kids, building a house and a wife, and traveling. I'm doing all I know to do. I don't know if it's a fad. I don't know. But it scares me to death. And I'm thankful for Brother Wilson. And I'm thankful for his Insistence 
that there's got to be a balance of spirit and word. I don't know that that's sinking into everybody's head, but I think he's doing his best, and he, for many years, has, he has exemplified that. But it scares me. We can't get relevant enough to make up our own power. Brother Sergeant, you know, you sat for years as a family pastor with families. We can't get enough counseling degrees to make up for no power. The last thing in the world. And, and what am I in Wilson's world? Probably a fly, but that, that's the last thing. I'm not, I'm not saying these things insult him. I'm thankful for AST. Can we really teach somebody scholastically, academically? Can we really teach somebody how to dig it out? You, you can't teach this. You can't teach this. We're putting all kinds of band-aids on that demon. We got a generation that's throwing itself in the fire. And the disciples could not help that child who was throwing itself in the fire. We are living in a generation, Sister Sergeant, that's throwing themselves in the fire. And we know more hermeneutically than we've ever known. We know more about the history of the apostolic church than we've ever known. And we can't get them delivered. And we can't get them healed. can't take enough classes to learn how to heal somebody. nothing to do with me I, you know if I'm going if I'm going to approach this in fear I'm just just as well equipped so I, I, I can't I can't preach with fear I had a guy not too long ago come up to me whether you want to believe this or not it happened and he came up to me and he said do you know how much money I've spent counseling in counseling he said do you know how many shrinks I've been to he said do you know how long I've sat in the office with the pastor multiple pastors He said, a couple of nights ago, he said, you walked to the pulpit, and it was one of those nights, Wesley Jackson, you know exactly what I'm talking about, where I'd studied all day long, and I just had this one little phrase in my head. I'm like, eh. Hey. 
I didn't walk up there with confidence. I may come off that way. I was unsure. I was like, okay, there's a bunch of people here tonight. This is not typically a word that would be applicable to the majority. I walked Brother Zelensky to the pulpit, and I said about ten words, and I heard a man scream back to my left. And I said, folks, we need to worship God. A spirit was just rent from that man. That had nothing to do with me. you young guys that, that got a call of God in your life. You go ahead and you get your, they, Brother Bourne told me years ago, he said, first you're a preacher. He said, you work that thought and you develop it. I'm not telling you to be sloppy and not study. You can't walk in there so in love with your little message that you got off chicken soup for the soul and expect to do anything for anybody's soul. What, he came to me question what was I said, I said you, you don't understand the fight that God and I went through for me to get up there and even do that power it's power and in no way I've got friends online probably listening right now that I know some of them involved in counseling and, and, and they're going to school let's better ourselves but let's not fall into a trap, whether we're doing it foolishly or ignorantly. Let's not fall into a trap that this is a band-aid that's going to fix our problem. I'm going to tell you how I feel about it. And I could be a million miles from the truth. But I think this is just the leftover aroma of a movement that's dead. And the founders admitted it's dead. That The leftover aroma, the, the, the thinking the paradigm of the emerging church that everything's about relevance. God forbid that we get past that and something's dead and, and one little thing snags us. We feel like we've got to walk to the pulpit and we've got to be polished and we've got to say everything just right and we, oh, we can't help people. I'm going to tell you something. We're not helping people. We're hurting people if we're having church without Benjamin. We're killing them. Young people, what I'm telling you is you don't have to go home and have dead church. You don't have to go home and keep pointing your fingers at where you think the problem is. Well, if my pastor would get so-and-so in here, if my pastor, if we had the money to have this guy in here, no, 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 no. You don't need me or somebody else to come in here and get Benjamin for you. If you want it bad enough, you can make up in your mind in this meeting tonight, I'm not going home until I'm holding hands with Benjamin. And I'm taking power home with me go home and you get a bus you go home and find somebody whose parents have a van even if you got to start with a minivan and you get permission 
You say, we're fixing to bring. We, we, pe people's fixing to get the Holy Ghost in this church, whether it's, e even if it's, if it's seven and eight and nine-year-old bus kids, one way or another. yet, just like he said he was going to do it. Middle levels there. We got to have power. We got to have power. Brother Mayo, we're, we're not far if something does not drastically revolutionize the apostolic church, we're not far, and this may seem sound pessimistic, but we're not far from losing some things that, has, that have been some of the very things that's got us to where we're at today. Brother Fitzpatrick, some of the dearest memories in my mind as a kid is having out-of-body experiences and coming in and out. And all I could hear was the sound of a B3. You, can, you cannot imagine the indelible marks it left in my brain. Back in Oklahoma, several years during those impressionable years of my life, several years in a row they had O.R. Foss, bro. There was nobody Maybe Tim Copeland that could preach conviction like O.R. Foss. Brother Earl Dean, I can remember. I, 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 seven, eight, nine years old. I didn't even really know probably what I was doing. I can't forget that. My mom and dad would say, we got school tomorrow. Granny would scoop us up and help us to the car. I don't want to have church where we do our little dance and clap our little hands and we're finished, cry a few tears and we get up and we're gone. I don't want that. I know what shaped me. I know what made me. I know what got me through the vulnerable years. I know what carried me. It was those moments where power impacted me. Caden, Kai, Addison, this is for you tonight. Dad's going to preach like he's never preached before in his life. Because if nothing else, I want to see the preservation. of the next generation. We don't have room to bury up. If you're here tonight and you want power, 
There's a dad that speaks volume. That speaks, that screams volumes to me. If you're here, I need you to come. Put your toes standing. Put your toes as close to this platform as possible if you want power. And you say, I want it. 